Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years, and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses, and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator, and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com, reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm Carter McKenzie here with my co-host, the uh, infamous Bobby McCready. What's up, Bobby? What's going on, Carter? How are we tonight? You know, before we press record, we were just talking about how today was a real Wednesday of Wednesdays at work, <laughs> and we were looking forward to doing a podcast and talking hunting. It's a good way to kind of round out the round out a kind of shit day at work. So, yeah. yeah. I, I just told you I was staring at a wall blank aimlessly, and my coworker's like, "You were right." I'm like, "Man, I can't wait to do a podcast tonight." <laughs> just one of those days, man. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, we got an awesome guest this week. Uh, we've been trying to line this up for for a minute. Uh, yeah. and our, our guest is a hunt a hunting fool, man, and uh, is getting after it all over the place. But uh, we're fortunate tonight to be joined by uh, Joe Griffin tonight, uh, Huntwise Pro Staff, and just a. Uh, straight up the hunter of all hunters man and uh joe welcome to the podcast man thanks for having me guys sorry that uh it took so long to be able to work this out more technology literacy on my side i guess is probably what caused that so the last couple of times i tried logging on it was on the phone and didn't realize i had to be my by my computer to do it so but yeah glad to be here glad to talk to you guys heck yeah man you know what's funny is uh a friend of ours on our on our team, Chris Atanasio, uh, he kind of put you on our radar um, and told us about uh, told us about you actually, um, and sent us your caribou hunt on YouTube. Oh, cool. um, yeah, and we I watched that, and you know, I've dove into Western hunting recently. Uh, just started getting my feet wet um, and doing big serious DIY trips. Not a, you know, I've, I've hunted in Alaska, but I was fortunate enough to leave out of a buddy's house, uh, who was stationed up there, but not Alaska logistics big, but you know, still flying and traveling, um, logistics. And he was like, dude, you got to check this out. This is pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, that was kind of like my first introduction. Big. It doesn't sure. matter if you do it out of someone's house or, or what. I mean, it's, it's an amazing experience no matter how you do it. Where'd you guys go? Yeah, it was, it was freaking awesome. So, I, he was stationed at J bear and then I flew up there and we fished the Kenai for three days during the, uh, when the reds were running in July, I think. Um, and then we like limited out every day for three days. And then we went bear hunting in the Talkeetna range oh, and, sweet. um, yeah, I had a black bear tag and he had a grizz tag and, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I just, I'm still like wrapping my head around Alaska. That, that place is insane. Yeah, it's by far my favorite place in the world. And I kind of, I'm from the East too, for people that don't know. Um, so I got into the Western stuff six, seven years ago, and it's kind of consumed my soul a little bit with everything. And then did Alaska last year for the first time, and then again this year. So it kind of, it's like an extreme 
um, maybe extreme is not the right word, but it's just an amplified version of everything that I love about the West in Alaska. So, yeah, definitely, definitely understand the kind of like the first time jitters you have when you go out there and uh, get get that one under your belt, and then it kind of just sinks your te- its teeth into you, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more. And I'm already thinking about stuff that we might do out there next year. So, yeah. It's an addiction for sure, man. And it's like, it's just a totally different ball game. It's like jumping from peewee football to the NFL, man. It's, it'll, it'll get over your head quick if you're not prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Oh, sorry. I put this on silent. You're good, man. Um, before we jump into kind of your hunts and your expertise, Joe, I definitely want to pick your brain about this season and kind of what's working for you and, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on kind of who you are and where where you came from and 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 grew up, man? Yeah, so um, I'm Joe Griffin. I'm 30. Uh, I'm from West Michigan. I've got a seven year old son who you'll probably hear at some point throughout the podcast, running back and forth. Um, and uh, I I came from a non hunting family. Um, my dad was just no interest in it whatsoever, and uh, my mom was actually a member of PETA. So. Um, kind of a weird start with it all. Um, in third grade, I remember there was like, we had this library in our school and back when like the school system and parents were trustworthy, parents would like drop off magazines and stuff. So the kids could like cut pictures out of the magazines for projects and stuff like that. And there was a, a Peterson's hunting or a field and stream or one of those magazines in there that had something about elk hunting. And for some reason I just gravitated to it and I was so enamored with hunting for, for no reason. Cause I've never done it. And uh, a friend of mine in school named Chad Alberg kind of was like, took me under his wing and brought me in with his family and ate venison for the first time. And I remember sitting in his living room and we watched every single Primo's truth about deer, truth about Turkey, truth about bow, bow hunting, elk hunting, like every single one, he had a mountain of VHSs, And like, I could about tell you, by the intro which one it was because we watched it all summer and I was just so eaten up with this stuff so I had a a project in third it was a third or fourth grade where we had to write a persuasive letter and it was a letter to my mom on why I should be able to hunt even though my family's anti-hunting or non-hunting I guess best way to put it so um wrote her a letter about it and she let me try it and I guess that would have been shit 16 17 18 years ago 18 no more than that. Wow. I'm getting old 20 years ago. Um, that's been my everything ever since. So. That's awesome. I, uh, I kind of really relate to that in a lot of ways. I didn't start hunting till I was 19, 18. I killed my first year freshman year of college. Um, sure. but my, my family didn't, you know, my parents not on board with guns and had no interest in hunting. And my dad grew up in, kind of real rural Eastern Kentucky. And my grandfather was kind of the one who, you know, he grew up hunting and was a depression, grew up during the depression and hunting was a very much part of life. And I was always enamored with that, but we just lived in a place where that wasn't a thing and he was older and it just never happened. So I had to find some, some mentors, I guess 10 years ago, right? Not that long, 29 now. And, Mm -hmm. uh, to get on board and, uh, I remember he, he bought me a field and stream subscription when I was six years old for Christmas and just eating those books up, man. I'm like, I, I will be in these mountains one day chasing these animals. And, uh, yep. 
Yeah, I get it, man. It was like early on, you knew right away. It's crazy how something can bite you so hard without actually doing it. Like for even before I ever killed something, I knew like this was my thing. It's, it's got to be like I just I was as sure of that as that the sky was blue, that this was going to be my thing before I even did it. So <laughs> it's pretty wild to say, especially at the young age I was. But I had kind of a similar deal where like, they, they finally said I could and my dad would come along with me for a lot of these things, but he never like, he didn't have any expertise to give. He didn't have any spots to go or anything like that. So we kind of relied on other people to show us the ropes and we learned together. And that was, that was like my core bonding with my dad because he worked, uh, he worked a job where he traveled 80% of the year. So that was kind of our thing. So well, that's really awesome, man. So then how'd you, how'd you progress from there? I mean, what'd you start? What was like your entry level hunting? Was it whitetail here on the East coast? Yeah. So, um, in Michigan, we have like a lot of opportunity. Nothing is great, but we have a lot of it. So like the deer hunting is, we have tons of deer, not a lot of huge deer kind of thing. Turkey hunting's good. Waterfall's decent, um, small game, obviously. So it's a good place for someone to kind of grow up and learn about all those things and kind of get a lot of experience under their belt in a short period of time. Um, but I started with my, my very first hunt was a bow hunt for deer. Um, didn't see a damn thing that year, not one. And then, uh, kind of got into the small game stuff when I was old enough to have a gun. Cause back then it was in Michigan, you had to be 12 to bow hunt and 14 to gun hunt, um, for big game. Anyway, I think it was 12 for small game in Turkey, but kind of got into that. Um, didn't have a lot of success early, but in the first like two, three years, then I started kind of getting an understanding of it and having some success. And then, um, my parents started to bite into it a little bit more where my mom was still like, I don't really want to see a dead animal, but I support that you love this so much. And I understand it a little bit more. My dad was eating it up at this point. Like he was looking forward to going Saturday mornings, going goose hunting and stuff like that. And then I don't know, like six, seven years down the line. Then my mom's like, all right, this is obviously pretty cool. This means a lot to you and actually went and hunted herself for the first time and uh yeah so the the whitetail um waterfowl in turkey was the first probably 10 years of my hunting and i got really big into the waterfowl community and kind of got into the contest calling and ended up guiding for like 10 years out in missouri and then uh shortly thereafter got bitten with the the western bug i got kind of like reminded like the whole reason i got into this was the primos truth about elk hunting and all these magazines so I think I was, God, 23 when I finally, like, I need to go elk hunting. And then went and bought, like most first-time elk hunters do, got an over-the-counter tag in Colorado and got my ass kicked and learned from it. And I haven't left a elk tag unfilled since then, so. That's awesome. I haven't been brave enough to uh, tackle elk yet. I've, I've kind of gone up the ladder from a logical, what is logical in my brain point of view. I started with antelope and then I've gone mule deer hunting twice. And then, uh, I'm going back to Montana next month for deer. And so yeah. I've just been building these elk, building these elk points, just like waiting. And I know I need to cash them in or else I, I know there is a level of failure attributed with elk hunting. I just need to pull the trigger and go learn. It's, I think people make it harder than what it actually is. I mean, it's a six, 800 pound 
yellow cow that has trees growing out of its head that screams and it's excited. So they can't be that damn hard to find. So um, I, I, I always hear people talk about how like they're working up and building up to this elk thing. And honestly, I really just don't think it's as hard as people make it seem to be. I mean, maybe to kill big herd bulls every year or something like that. Sure. But if you want to, sure. a wall full of raghorns, like I've got, like, it's, it's not that hard. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not better than that for sure. I, I love how everyone describes elk for someone that's never hunted. Like we, you describe it as a yellow cow. And then Jake last week was describing it as a boulder with swords growing out of it or something like that. And it, it's just someone that's yeah. never seen an elk before. I can't wait to just see one in the wild because I, I can't wait to make my own assumption of what that is. man. <laughs> There's something very, theatrical about hunting them and like don't get me wrong like the first time that you hear one bugle in your face you'll you'll never forget that like i remember the exact rain i was in in rico colorado it was september the 4th and it was like the most amazing thing i've ever experienced in my life to have one bugle at me for the first time so like it's it's not easy like it's there's work involved there's hard work involved and it's i think just as much mental as it is physical because you need to go through the the three or four days of not finding them. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're on the herd and they turn on or something happens. You just have to be willing to stay in that game for that eight or 10 days, whatever you got. And if you're willing to do that and you're willing to go the distance with it, most times I think you find at least opportunity, if not success. Yeah, that's really good advice. And, you know, that's kind of the name of the game is get out there and hunt as much as you can. I mean, there's no point. I have no desire to be saving up 20, 25 points for one elk hunt. I'd rather go more often than not, right? Well, even to that point, like, I, I know people that kind of do that same thing where, like, I don't want to hunt a, a crap unit or something like that for my first elk. I don't want it to be a good one, but they're they're going into this this adventure and never playing it down a football in their life and stepping into the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And I think people have this yeah. misconception too that like because it takes a lot of years to draw that unit doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better unit or a a, a good unit to start in either. Like there's some draw units that are draw units because the population's low. You know what I mean? Right. And there's some units yeah. out there that I know of that are over the counter. They take two points, but there's elk everywhere. They might not be giant bulls, but I mean, to get your feet wet with it, I would always err on. If you're not wanting to burn points in that state that year, then take OTC somewhere else or have like a state that is like, I'll go here every three years kind of thing while I'm building somewhere else. And that's kind of what Montana is for me. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. I've, I've taken the Randy Newberg approach with like the short term, medium term and long term mm -hmm. state wise as far as yep. point building. So I, mean, I think that's really good advice for people too. And, you know, as you know, fellow non-Westerners, people who are dipping their dipping their toes into the Western hunting game or like even Alaska, if you have your sights set on that. Or I just went hunting in Hawaii, like axis hunting in Hawaii, which is something I thought I'd never be able to do. Um, it's all a lot more attainable than you think it is, right? There's, there's so much information accessible on the internet, um, but you need to have a game plan, right? You can't go in without playing it down a football, like you said. Right. Yeah, there's, it's, it's not like, to your point, there's so much information out there, but even if there isn't the information necessarily, like you can figure out 
like look at states that you can get one, two points and you can draw a tag or over the counter. And it's not as expensive as what people kind of make it seem to be either. I mean, the tag, yeah, it's 600, 800 bucks. Quit going out to eat twice a week for a year and there's your tag. You can fly yep. to Bozeman or Denver roughly round trip from the east for 380 to 500 bucks and get a U-Haul for 350 bucks for a week. And then you got 250 bucks into gas and food. We'll say something like that. So under two grand way f- for sure under two grand. That's very obtainable yep. for, I think most average folks. I mean, I'm not a, a rich dude by any stretch. You're looking at my living room like this. My house is 900 square feet, but it's because I prioritize adventure over things really. So. Yeah, I heard you talking. I don't want to jump ahead here, but I heard you. I watched your uh, video, the the peak. I've watched it like four times now, but I was watching it again last night. And uh, you talked about, you know, you choose to live frugal so that you can hunt more, right? Like that's that's just part of it. This is what I love to do. This is my passion. Therefore, like you said, stop. You know, if I eat Chick-fil-A two less times a week, you know, there's whatever, 20, 30 bucks right there. Put that in the pot and then you're going hunting every fall, man. Right. Exactly. And full disclosure like that, the peak film, that was kind of a unique opportunity for me because obviously those sheep hunts are crazy expensive. So when, uh, hunt wise kind of came to me and or brought this whole thing up when they got acquired, um, WTA was one of the original, I guess, shareholders of, of hunt wise. And they had this balance with them for, uh, basically different hunts through their, um, worldwide trophy adventures, is a, a broker for a lot of different outfitters essentially. So it was just kind of a cool opportunity where like I was building and kind of saving up for doing things like sheep and mountain goat and hopefully eventually grizzly bear kind of things. And this one just kind of popped up early where it didn't take out of the pot that I've been working on and I can go get this experience done while I still have decent knees in the back. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Cause you think of like, a dull sheep hunt and you're like, Oh, maybe in 20 or 30 years. Right. That's like where my head is right now. And so what an amazing opportunity for you to go when we're all young and strong at 30 years old. Like (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, that just like everything else, it kind of gets in your blood and I'm already coming up with ways to budget so that I can do it in four years again. It's not something that I can do every year as a non-resident, but, um, and honestly, even as a non-resident, if you shoot a sheep, you can't come back and hunt for four years in Alaska. So sheep anyway. Um, but I'll be damned on the fourth year if I'm not back chasing sheep again. So yeah, for sure. So you're put on the bench for four years. Yeah. As long as I'm a non-resident. So whether you kill or not. Nope. You, if you fill the tag, then, okay. Then you're on the bench for four years. So gotcha. Which I get. That's cool. I mean, it's, yeah, for sure. Limited population, limited opportunity. If you shoot one, I don't mind taking a back seat for a couple of years. Well, and that prevents like people with a lot of money from going year after year and getting every single very limited tag, right? Right. Yeah. There's there's so much politics and different um, I guess opinions and perceptions of what sheep hunting is and what it should be. So it's kind of cool to see all the different perspectives of it, but I always kind of viewed it as a, a rich guy's game where yeah. maybe I'd be able to do it. Maybe I wouldn't, but there's so many different avenues to do it where you can 
but join the West less than one club from the wild sheep foundation. Someone's got to win that one every year. You can go kind of play the, the lottery games that they do at like Western hunt and all these different, uh, all these different shows raffle off sheep hunts all the time. Um, I just got blind shit house luck that I was able to go early. So, <laughs> Oh, what an awesome opportunity, man. And now watching that video was, first of all, it was incredibly well done. It was awesome to watch, man. Were you pleased with how it turned out? I mean, what were you yeah. expecting from your point of view? From the, the video or the hunt? The video. Yeah. Let's start with the video. I mean, the video is phenomenal. I'll, I'll be completely honest. Like I was, I was super stoked at how the video turned out. Max Benz is the most talented guy I've ever done any project with by far. Like he's, he's amazing. Um, but selfishly for me, I really didn't care if I'm honest, cause I was just going sheep hunting and everything else was just, if, if the film turns out awesome, awesome. Love that too. I'm glad that all the, the partners kind of got their, their shake out of it. But selfishly, I was like, I, I don't really care about the cameras or the video or any of this stuff. I'm just glad that I'm here and I'm sheep hunting, but it turned out great. And I'm super stoked that it turned out great. I have a fun time sharing it and like sending it to friends and like sharing the experience a little bit, but yeah, the, the video stuff, all the production stuff is very, very second to me. So the yeah. hunt itself was makes sense. absolutely just unbelievable. Every, everything about it was just perfect. Like it's how you dream a sheep hunt would, would go with the ups and downs and the, um, the physical aspect of it. The, the sheep itself was just kind of like the perfect representation of what you think of when you think of a doll sheep and the country we were in was obviously insane too. So yeah, I've yet, I've talked about this hunt so many times, but I still feel like I don't know how to describe it. It's just something that you have to go do. Selfishly from a viewer's point of view, I'm glad I'm thrilled that the video turned out so well because now guys like Bobby and I can kind of like get a, get a taste, get a, like a glimpse of, that experience without actually being there. Right. Um, and I can tell like you, that's, you know, I think that's what kind of drew us to you. You care about the hunting man, not about the production or the, you know, some things like the aspects of this industry that can be a bit unsavory, right. You're kind of a purist, it seems like. And that's what we love about that. Like that was so cool, but selfishly it was really awesome to watch. And I mean, dude, that country looked like, I thought you were in Lord of the Rings, man. It looked like you were hiking up, damn Mordor it would looked unforgiving we actually said that one time I don't remember if it was I think Did it, was you? it was said but yeah. someone said something like that where they made a some sort of a Lord of the Rings reference at that back canyon that we got into and yeah it was yeah uh, there were some times where we're like I've done a lot of mountain hunts and stuff and I've done I don't know some stuff that you kind of look back at after the fact and go yeah maybe that wasn't the smartest but we got in some of those rock slides on the backside of that cliffy stuff where all those spiders were shooting up when we made that descent down at the ram and coming back up out of that thing. I'm like, man, this one's really like kind of at the top of that list of maybe not the greatest ideas of, of things that I've done. <laughs> so the, yeah, it was, there was definitely some times where it was scary and having those other two dudes with me was really kind of what kept me grounded on a lot of different aspects. I kind of go in, ebbs and flows on both sides of that coin. And I guess the best way to put that is I'll, 
admittedly get tunnel vision really bad. So like the first day we found those rams and I'm going through every different way to make a shot at 722 yards of the 60 mile an hour crosswind. Obviously a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Chris Kyle. I'm a good shot, but good luck. So I was really thankful to have those two guys with me that were kind of like, Hey dude, like this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Let's uh, let's calm down a little bit here. And then the second day when they got back up over top of that next rim and I'm like, surely there's a way we can go up over top of that. And the guy looks at me, he's like, not unless you got like a helmet and ropes and stuff. Like none of us are mountain climbers here. So it was pretty funny. Yeah. Some of those, when you were side, side hilling, side mountaining, that scree or that loose rock. I mean, it looks straight up dangerous, man. Like one, one wrong step and see you later, Joe, right? You're, you're gone. There's some times where it kind of felt like that. Um, yeah. There was one that really stuck out in my head when we were coming down, when we first found those four rams back and we peeked up over the cliff and John's like, well, we have this rim running down that's going to kind of hide our descent down to them if we can get over top of the ridge without them spotting us, which we did. As soon as we got over the top of the ridge, it went to something kind of like that to where we had one trekking pole extended all the way out and a leather glove on this side. You're stabbing with this hand and grabbing with this hand, just kind of spider monkey in your way down. And there was times where like we'd take a step and it felt like there was 10 feet deep of just loose rock that would just kick out in spots. And then there was other spots where you'd take a step and it would just kind of crunch and settle. And John, the outfitter was like, Hey, when you take a step, just kind of, bounce it a little bit and see if it's going to give or not. All right. So bounce it a little bit and then it would kind of pack down and then sure enough, yeah, that wouldn't be okay. And he's like, also try to avoid the white rocks and stay on the black rocks. The white rocks get flipped more and that's why they bleach out and turn white. The black ones kind of get more, I don't know, kind of that Leica or algae buildup stuff on the top. And um, like, all right, starting to make some sense. So this guy had a lot of expertise on how to do this stuff safely but then all that goes out the window when you go to pack a section of rock down and 50 feet this way and 50 feet this way, all just goes in a rock slide with you in it. And you're just surfing. It's not going that fast, but it's just, you can't stop it and you can't step out of it kind of thing. So yeah, there was, there were some times where there was a butthole pucker factor for sure. (laughs) A little precarious. Yeah. Yeah. And John, John was your guide. Yeah. John Burroughs. So he's probably in his 40s, I think. I think he says like 44 or 45. Um, okay. Just absolute physical specimen. Been guiding for 20 years. Just wealth of knowledge out, outside of hunting, even just the, the random facts he had about like the NBA and stuff like that. Just random things. <laughs> um, he's a, a carpenter. A uh, I don't know if he's a registered pilot. I don't even fly in plane. He works on planes in the side. Like he's just one of those. I, I feel like there's it's impossible for you to be an Alaskan and not the most interesting person in the world. Like yeah. they're all just yeah. super cool. And, uh, for non-residents, you have to have a guide to hunt. Dog right. Sheep. Yeah. So this was the first time that I've ever been like actually guided on a Western hunt kind of thing. Everything else I've done to that point was unguided. But if you're a non-resident, you have to be either with first of kin. So if like, if I had a brother and he moved to Alaska and became a resident, I could go sheep hunting with him every year kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Same thing if like you marry into a 
someone from Alaska or something like that. Um, outside of that, yeah, you either need to hire a guide or have first of kin and I don't have any family in Alaska. So. Yeah, that's cool. The other thing that I really appreciated about him right off the rip when y'all were in base camp and we don't have to, I, I, I want people to go watch the video, but, uh, one thing I thought was really cool was he, he was talking about protecting kind of the resource as a whole, like talking about the sheep population, yep. um, as a whole and the consideration, he seemed like a very considerate guide, right? He's like, we're here to kill sheep, but things that we're going to take into consider are like winter kill and predation. And, you know, we're, we're here to, we want a healthy sheep population here, uh, long-term. That's what we're looking for. We're not here to just kill big exactly. giant sheep. Yeah. He was extremely well informed with, with all that. And I did a lot of research going into this because for a while, it was actually proposed by, I think it was the Board of Game or it wasn't the Board of Game. It was some, some organization proposed to close the unit because of the amount of winter kill and predation and just hard winters that they've had there and lack of legal rams in there. And what's interesting about Alaska is you have all these different entities that are kind of fighting for different things, but want, they, they've all got a different angle to it. So like the sustenance board tries to close down non-resident hunting because they want to protect the resource for people that are using it for sustenance. Um, the board of game and the state and the feds are all kind of working their angles differently. And that's why you're seeing people kind of fighting over different legislation and closures in Alaska. But, um, we knew going into this and I talked to the biologists that there's a lot of sheep in this unit and we saw it like there's rams and sheep everywhere. The problem was, is finding one that was either eight years old or full curl or broomed off or something that made him old enough to shoot or legal to shoot. And what caused that was the uh, nine and 10 years ago or eight to 10 years ago, hard winners that killed 30 to 60% of the population, depending on the part of the unit. And then again, two years ago, really rough winners that if there was eight and 10 and 11 year old Rams up there, probably a percentage of that died off in that hard winter as well. So um, we knew we were kind of an uphill battle of finding one that was legal. And I think there was throughout the whole season, they only had one other hunter kill a ram. So mm. pretty tough. And he, yeah. he kind of, yeah. there, there was times that we got like the second day we got up into that basin. And at one point I think we saw 18 ramps in this one basin. And we looked at all of them for like five and six hours. And he's like, that one's close, but we're not doing it. We're after this, this one that we saw that we for sure know is legal until we find him back. Don't even take your gun off your pack. We are looking for this one Ram and this one Ram alone. So yeah. Yeah. Very, that looked uh, really stressful. Very... <laughs> <laughs> Trying yeah, to I'm age. So thank- I'm so thankful to have him there for that. And to be honest with you guys, like I kind of, Going into this, I was like, man, I've done everything else without a guy. Why do I need one for this? And yeah, I do. Because <laughs> the likelihood of me shooting a seven-year-old ram would have been pretty decent. Because I was kind of looking at some of these and like, man, that one is, he's got to be there. He's, he looks huge. His bases are big. It's all flared out. And he's like, dude, he's not even close. He's six. And by <laughs> the third day, I was getting an idea of what it actually took to, to make these things legal. Okay. Like it's. It ain't jump shooting ducks. Like you're coming over the hill and studying these things for quite a while. 
unless he's obviously got broken lamb tips yeah. or something like that. It, it takes a trained eye to know what you're looking at. Hey, everybody. We'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor, Rack Getter Sense and Lures. Like Hunt, Lift, Eat, Rack Getter Sense is a veteran-owned and operated company with a personal touch. Gerard, their owner, is a former Marine and firefighter who will walk you step-by-step through the buy-in process with a personal touch. I reached out to him and he gave me his personal cell phone number and walked me through his products and the buying experience could not have been more efficient. My favorite product of his is the Hot to Trot Dough and Heat Scent and I use it religiously through the rut with consistent results. Many of our Hunt, Lift, Eat team members are loyal customers of Rack Getter Scents and Lures and we use his products year after year to help them execute in the field. Follow them on their Instagram at RackGetterSense2.0 and check out their products at RackGetterSense.net to start luring in your next big buck. Yeah, those I would imagine those annuli are tough to count from uh, behind a rifle scope or a pair of binos rather than like <laughs> in your hands where you can actually touch them and count them. Yeah, the funny part with that too is there's actually like they'll it'll look like a ring and it's a false ring and that's where they had a lot of stress in the winter where it actually kind of turns black or something in between the annuli. So it's it's even trickier than that. They really the only foolproof is if you look at him from the same elevation and he's curled all the way around past his nose and is obviously full curl. So, yeah. And they've got all kinds of tricks. Like he was talking about counting rings in the first third kind of thing. If he's got four in the first third, then he's probably eight kind of thing. But to walk into a situation and not knowing all these little tricks, or even if he studied them, like you need to look at sheep for a number of years before I think you're actually like, worthy of aging one yeah and and you know this too joe but bobby whenever you and i go hunt alaska next but you can look over it's crazy in alaska you can look over so much country like more country than you thought was even possible to see at once like i've hunted in wyoming and i used to live in colorado and you can see a lot of stuff out there but in alaska it's like you're like an ant and you can see so much country and such there's you're like, where are all the animals where are, there should be animals everywhere. And there's not, there's just, there's just nothing. Right. And you may see some sheep will like way the hell up there or some goats way the hell up there. Or like, I was just blown away by how stark the landscape was. I was like, there should be animals everywhere. Yeah. Uh, what really blew me away is like the amount of grizzly sign that we were seeing in the bottoms and we just didn't run into that many bears. It's like the first yeah. 500 yards from the base camp. I'm like, we're going to get charged in here with how much sign we saw, like steaming piles of grizzly shit every 200 yards. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Never saw one on the sheep hunt. It was only after we got the sheep back, I saw one in the low country, but really? um yeah, just to your point, like that's it's amazing how far those animals move and like how much sign they kind of leave behind, and especially with caribou. Like we'd have days where we'd see a hundred caribou, and then the next day you'd see two, and then turn back on the next yeah. day, a fresh group would come running through, and they just kind of pop up out of the tundra like whack a mole. Like where the hell did he come from? Yeah, I love it out there because that's my that's like number one on my list next is like i want to go caribou hunting in alaska and it seems like if they're moving like they're moving they're not stopping they're just going and if they're not there they're not there i kind of it's almost easier to compare to fishing than hunting because it's like right you see an area where 
trout are migrating upstream or salmon are pushing upstream. It's like, you're not maybe fishing for those ones, trying to get in front of them again. You're going to the spot that they all shot through knowing that there's more coming up behind them kind of thing. Cause they'll actually smell the caribou that went through that exact area right before them. So that was actually one of our tactics is when we'd glass them way out there, you, you can't go chasing them things cause they're, they're moving across that tundra faster than you ever could. Yeah. But you can get out to that same point and the next group's probably going to come within a hundred yards, probably less of where that group went through. And there's so many opportunities in Alaska for caribou, like, and they're all so unique and diverse that you can kind of tailor what you want out of it and what you got to spend on it. But it's something that literally everyone can do. It's a $600 tag. The flight up there is about the same price as anywhere else and to go into Fairbanks anyway. And it's, you don't need a guide. You can just kind of go figure it out for yourself, rent a truck, get a U-Haul, get a Turo. Like there's tons of options to do it. Dude, I loved that y'all rented that U-Haul. That was hilarious. And what a great way to save money. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I've done, that's not the first time. Well, it was the first time I did it, but it was not the last. So I did three U-Haul hunts that year and I've never three had, U-Haul. yeah, I've never had, we did one again this spring. Um, we did a bear hunt in Montana and we rented a U-Haul van. There was three of us and we were just going to get, uh, fold out like lawn chair and have someone sit in the back of the van while the other two guys drove up front and they ran out of the vans or something. So they gave us a truck. So we're sitting three wide in a regular cab truck and we shot a bear. It worked. So nice. I, I, I love awesome. doing that. It's, it's freaking hilarious too. I did too. That was our move. When we hunted Wyoming for the first time in like the central part of the state and the winds are whipping out there, our first camping experience was like less than desirable. We're like, there's got to be a better option here. So next time, next trip, we rented a box truck, rented a U-Haul. Yeah. Slept in the box truck, turned the box truck, the back of the box truck into like the most badass hunting camp of all time. You're up off the ground, you're out of the wind, and you got a mobile base camp, man. It was freaking awesome. So I loved when you did that in Alaska. That's a that's a pro move right there. Yeah. I would, if I the, the tricky part about that one with uh, the box truck thing is getting up over attic and pass with that two wheel drive box truck can be kind of sketchy. Cause it's, it's a steep muddy road getting over top of the Brooks range to get out into the tundra. But we took a, one of those like 15 person passenger vans, like a moving van that doesn't have any back seats in it. And mm-hmm. we did an elk mule deer hunt out of that last year in Montana, actually about this time. And, uh, it worked out great for that. Cause we got some nasty weather and we're like, well, we're kind of truck camping anyway. So we just kicked the heater on fire up the U-Haul for a little bit, get it warm in there, go to bed and put all your sleeping pads down on the floor. And it works great. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. We got to get everybody sponsored by U-Haul around here. And I'm hoping we all take the insurance out on our U-Hauls because I don't know if it covers elk guts and deer blood and all over that (laughs) stuff over their trucks. (laughs) So knock on wood, I've never paid for their insurance and I've turned one in pretty questionable looking and they've never... (laughs) we'll edit that part out so they don't know about that (laughs) they do because i made a video out of it and they actually u-haul actually followed me on instagram like shit that was but they're super cool about it which is surprising but yeah i'll send you the picture i have a whole mule deer in the back and it's freaking inside the truck (laughs) inside of it yeah that's amazing i shot that thing so close to the road that um 
I just drug it back whole. I didn't even gut it. Yeah. Put the tag on it, drug it back whole, threw it in the back of the U-Haul, and drove back to our camp. And then when everyone got back to the camp, and I just pulled this whole ass mule deer out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I, I love that uh, stuff. Yeah, so. that's the best, man. That's the best. <laughs> so uh, what's next? What's next for you this season, man? Um, Honestly, I was debating on um, – pulling an OTC elk tag in Colorado this year, but the timing of it, like I was going to leave tomorrow. Um, and I was still debating about it yesterday kind of thing, like just going and doing it for four days. Um, I went to Colorado with Lexi, my girlfriend in September and hunted with her a little bit. And then she's heading out there tomorrow for mule deer, but I'm actually going to go up to my place in the UP and uh, bow hunt for whitetail for a little bit there. So I'm not quite sure if I've got, any more Western stuff in this year. Um, we're looking at a multitude of things for Alaska next year. Um, and then maybe a cancellation on Kodiak yet this year. So that just popped up today. So, um, that'd be huge. Long story short is I have no clue. Um, yeah, I'll be hunting pretty much every day here. And then, uh, whenever something pops up where it makes sense to run somewhere else, I'll probably do that too. So I love that, man. Being gone for two weeks in Alaska before elk season kind of screwed up elk season for me a little bit this year. So, yeah. Well, that trip was worth it. A hundred percent. Yeah. If I had to, I'd hate to do it, but if I had to trade the rest of my hunting season just to do it again, I'd do it in heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? You got any plans this year? So I was fortunate enough to go hunt in Hawaii, like I said, last month in September for Axis, which was unbelievable. That was super cool. And you go then, on Maui? Uh, I'm at uh, Molokai. Okay. Yeah. Is that flew the, into the Maui private area or is that public? Uh, private. We hunted uh, Molokai Ranch, um, okay. cattle ranch over there. It's massive. It was huge. That's sweet overwhelmingly large it was huge uh yeah it was awesome it was just us out there it was, it was a cool really cool trip and then uh i'll be heading up to montana for the first time november 15th with a with a deer tag hopefully oh, i love that hoping to fill that man yeah i'm stoked we It'll did that cold. one last year about that same time and uh that's still like memory wise one of my favorite hunts i've ever done so yeah. we had a couple of us with mule deer tags and um, my buddy that was supposed to archery elk hunt with me last year, he got COVID right before it. So I shot that half rack bull there. Um, nice. He came back out and we did the the rifle thing together and he shot his first bull. And yeah. It, that middle of November, especially if you have weather out there, it's just an awesome time to be there. You hunt mule deer, I would assume. Yeah, I'm stoked. Mule deer. Yeah. Mule. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed right now. I've got some unfinished business from last season. So I'm a uh, mule deer obsessed right now. Gotcha. What are you going to unspecifically, yeah. but. Um, we'll be heading East in the seven hundreds kind of, okay. I'm flying into Billings and then heading, heading towards miles city based on oh, yeah. the research I've done. That, that general tag is kind of overwhelming, uh, for Montana. When you get that general deer tag, because it it really opens up the entire state almost. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be heading east. Yeah, it's a monstrous opportunity as far as 
the, yeah. the general elk tag too. I think they changed some stuff up right now, but I think it was like 113 units that you could hunt for elk on the general elk tag, basically the whole Western half of the, the state. And it's pretty much the same. I think it's even bigger for deer. There's some stuff in the high woods and there's some stuff down by big sky. I think that's a draw tag, but your, your canvas is pretty big with a general tag in Montana. Yeah, dude, it's a lot to, it's a lot to chew on for sure. And then next year, hopefully we'll get Bobby out for his first Western hunt. Maybe we'll be heading to Wyoming for antelope or deer hunt. It's coming. That'd be eventually. <laughs> it's coming. We'll do I, it, man. We'll do one it. of my favorite, like to take people on our first time Western hunt that maybe you ought to consider too, is a spring bear hunt. Cause there's not a whole lot going on in the spring. The flights are super cheap. The country's beautiful that time of year you see a ton of elk you see the moose you see sheep and stuff like that and bear hunting is just a freaking riot especially to do with other people too that's yeah i've heard an annual trip for me every year is spring bear in montana i've heard that yeah we have a friend who lives in montana who's on the on the hle team as well he killed a spring bear and then we have a friend in california who killed one as what beautiful color phase black bear uh and he said the same thing he said it's a blast yeah that's one of my favorite hunts of the year for sure. It's definitely the one that I kind of like have the most fun with. Cause it's just like no stress, no pressure kind of thing. It's, it's, it's hard hunting. It's big, big days and a lot of miles. And like, it's kind of yeah. also a reason to like continue your training from like getting ready for yeah August, Alaska elk season, September, get fat and lazy during whitetail season. And then you kind of kick it back off in January yeah. and hit it hard, getting ready for bear. So keeps you well-rounded. Yeah. Do you have, uh, do you intentionally train or does all the hunting that you do keep you fit? Cause you're like, you're a fit dude. Uh, do you, is like working out part of your regimen or does hunting keep you 100%. in hunting shape? Yeah, no, that's like, it's a huge part of it. Um, this time of year, not as much because obviously I'm whitetail hunting so much and waterfowl and everything else like that. So I'm not as strict with it, but I'm still probably three, four days a week. Um, but I would say yeah. from January to April, hitting it hard four to six days a week kind of thing. And then after I get back from the spring bear hunt all summer, we go to the ski hill with packs on and that's at least every Tuesday, probably every Sunday as well. And just walk up and down the ski hill with a bunch of weight in the backpack. So. Oh, that's huge. Dude, mm -hmm. we actually, we're doing, not to, not to self-plug here, but we're doing a uh, fitness challenge in November. It's a ruck challenge. Um, we're donating all the money to Noden's Outdoors, which is a veterans group. They, uh, they help special operations soldiers transition uh, out of the military in uh, through bow hunting. They teach them how to bow hunt and that whole stuff, but we're doing a ruck challenge. I'll send you the details, man. It kind of sounds right up your alley. Yeah. I'd be um, down for that. Depending on what day it was just, in November. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just mileage over like a week. Uh, I'll send you the details. Oh, sounds cool. right up your alley, man. Sweet. Yeah. I'd definitely be cool. down for that. And for your doll sheep hunt, I'm sure you had to like really get after it. Cause you know, with all those logistics going to Alaska, uh, in a hunt like that, that is not an everyday kind of thing. Uh, you didn't want your fitness to fail on you for sure. Yeah, that was, um, the best shape I've ever been in my life as far as just strength and cardio, everything kind of molded together. And there's still that kind of mental element that comes into that, that you just have to keep going into it with the, the mindset of like, 
I kind of always tell myself this is that's, I think the biggest key for me is if I don't, if I'm not wanting to keep going or if things are getting tough, knowing that in 10 days from now, I'm not going to have this opportunity again and I can lick my wounds when I get home kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, as far as training and stuff goes, it was three, four days in the gym and then at least two days of cardio stuff leading up to it. Usually at Cannonsburg on the ski hill. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I always tell myself I can be tired when I get home. Yeah. Not going to regret it. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've had guys go out this year, even this year alone. And it drives me nuts where they'll send me a Snapchat of a big herd of elk two miles away kind of thing. And then they'll send me another one at drinking beer at the bar that night where they, they left, hiked three miles back to get to their car so they could drive out and go to get a beer and then get a hotel room and then hike back in there. It's like, why don't you idiots just stay with the elk and kill one? You spend all this yeah. money, you spend all this time, like just go freaking kill one. You're right there. Yeah. But, go drink a beer after you kill one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Drink, drink all the beers when you're done, but yeah. not until it's done. <laughs> so That's right. Yeah. That's the name of the episode. Drink all the beers when you're done. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, we we do that too. I don't want to paint the picture like I'm this solely fitness dude because I'll drink all the beers <laughs> as soon as it's done, but not till it's done. That's right. So. That's right. No, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. From a uh, from a gear point of view, Joe, what has been? I'm sure you get to experience and use and see a lot of gear in the position that you're in, uh, just with the people you meet and the people you know. What has been like one piece of gear this year that has been kind of that you would recommend or that's been like important change to your game or what an old standby that is like your go-to. There's two things that I have not changed since I started. And, um, one is my pack frame. I've been, I've had the same Kafaru duplex with a muskeg on it for six years and it looks and smells terrible, but it has never ever let me down. Um, I was looking at a picture the other day where I had three elk quarters in it at one time and like didn't feel that bad kind of thing. It's just an awesome frame. Um, they sent me a, a new one for the sheep hunt just cause they had a, a new model out and it's the same thing. I, I can't say enough about that company. Um, and then the other one surprisingly is the, um, my stove, the MSR reactor, like it's, it's, it sounds silly to be like the stove is just, hot piece of gear that I would recommend. But honestly, I bought it when I first got into this and it still works. So this, the stove is huge. I've tried a bunch of different clothing and I think there's, there's bits and pieces that I like about different brands and products. Largely what I use is, is Sitka. Um, there, there's a bunch of good clothing companies out there. There's a bunch of good tent companies out there, but there's, there's few things that kind of set themselves away from the pack for me and Kafaru for backpacks is one and MSR for stoves is, is the other one. So. Yeah, it's huge. Kafaru will, that'll make a lot of people happy on, on the hunt lift eat team. A lot of the military guys on the team just love Kafaru more than anything in the world. They just love those packs and they know good packs. Yeah. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. This is the first time that they've ever done like a project with me. Like I've, bought everything that I've had from them that full price is just, and then I would do it again. And like stuff like that's worth it. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Joe, we're rolling up on an hour here, man. But you know, one other thing 
or I guess just say, I really appreciate how much time you spend in the outdoors uh, with your son. That's really cool, man. I got a two-year-old daughter and I'm, maybe I'm getting old and that's what happens when you have a kid. But like, I'm really looking forward to, you've just been posting about like fishing and sitting in the stand, dude. And yeah. when you were setting up that two man stand, holy shit, that was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Yeah. We almost sat there <laughs> and then the wind swirled. So we couldn't get into that thing tonight. It went from East Southeast to Northwest tonight. So, but, uh, yeah, we'll be in that thing soon. Um, he's, it's been super easy for me because he's just taken to it in a way that like, I, I can't believe how good he is for how young he is and how he picks up on all these little things. Like the other day we were at the range and he uh, ranged a, a steel target at 300 and he knew he had to spin it to 2.5 MOA to shoot it with his gun kind of thing and spun the turret himself. Mm-hmm. And I took him out to Montana. Was it, when did we go to Montana? Was that last year or two years ago? Oh, last year. Last year. Um, and, uh, spent five days out there with him, elk and mule deer hunting on the opener kind of thing. And he just hiked every last little bit of it. Like he's been doing it forever. So he went and shot a big old nine point this year and, and and a squirrel. Do you want to come say hi real quick? (laughs) I love that. Put the head. We get the squirrel mounted. Are you shy now? No. He's hit or miss. Sometimes he likes talking on these. Sometimes he gets nervous. So, but uh, well, what did he think of his bear hunt? That bear hunt sounded pretty awesome. Where yeah, buddy? No, not today. Sometimes he's can't. <laughs> um, I hear you. Yeah, so he he got a, a Michigan bear tag this year, and we drove all the way up to Superior and, and did that. Um, we had one come in the first night, and unfortunately, he just hit it a little bit high and burned her through the back straps, but. Um, we had blood for a while and we tracked that thing till four thirty-five o'clock in the morning. And it was to the point where like, we're, there's six of us in this swamp tracking this bear. That's probably not fatally hit. And, uh, he's like falling asleep on my chest, but not wanting to give up kind of thing. So right, there was a, right. a lot of persistence that he showed there. That was super cool. So you want to say hi? You either got to say hi or not. You can't be peeking. <laughs> so, but yeah, he filled his, uh, he filled his buck tag in Michigan this year. He shot a big velvet nine point in the youth hunt and it's, uh, yeah, it's always fun having him, having him out. And he's just kind of one of the guys at deer camp, one of the guys in the duck blind, steelhead fish and all that stuff. He's just another dude in the boat now. So that's awesome. we got a lot of listeners with young kids and you got any advice for introducing your kids to the outdoors or do you just, you go, yeah whole hog and get get after it it's you have to kind of take um take your own expectations back for a little bit and like there's a lot of times where like to for an example tonight um i could have got closer to that bedding area where that buck was at i know where he sleeps kind of thing but um getting two of us in there setting up a pop-up or putting him up into a tree kind of thing can be a little bit challenging but the times that I've had things go right with the two of us together where we kind of make something else work like a pop-up line on a field edge or just making a a shorter sit of it or bringing some snacks out in the blind. Like there's things you can do to make the experience successful for both of you and to make it good. I think that's where people kind of miss that 
that angle is that they need to have a good time too. It can't just be like drilling it into them that we need to be quiet. We need to be quiet and can't have snacks in the blind kind of thing. Cause you're making noise. It's just make, make it fun for them and they'll want to grow with it kind of thing. So if you've got a, if you've got a spot where you've got 600 geese feeding in it kind of thing, but the hide sucks and yeah, you and your boys can probably make it work. Or you've got this pond where there's 10 geese that come to it every other day, go sit the pond and, take a chance and shoot a, a goose to your kid kind of thing. So we yeah. do the same thing up in the UP where I think I spend more time up at our lease up there than with him than I do without him kind of thing. So, and actually I think I shot my, my biggest Michigan buck I've ever shot. He was there for it kind of thing. And it was one of those sets where we were 20 yards off the road to throw up a pop-up blind. Like, yeah, we'll see what happens kind of thing. And it works out. Yeah. So do everything you can to get them out there, but make it fun for them too. I guess is the biggest thing that I would say, just keep, keep in mind that if you want them to continue on with it, it needs to be positive. I love that. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to kind of that entire journey and it's been fun watching you guys do that. And it's a really positive thing going forward, man. I love that. They're sure fun to have out there. That's for sure. <laughs> nice, man. Well, cool, Joe. We're, uh, rolling up on an hour here, man. I don't want to take up all your time. I know you got bucks to think about and plans to make for tomorrow. How y'all are going to go kill that, go kill that buck tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to give it a try. Yeah. Something you want to say? <laughs> hmm? uh, you can tell them if you want to tell them. I'm not telling them anything. All right. <laughs> Maybe next time he'll shoot something you have to do. Yeah. An episode with him. He's going to Alaska yeah, next year. So. Nice. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we uh, we want to stay in the loop, man. We want to stay up stay up with you, Joe, and we'll be following your season closely, man, Good and good luck with everything for the rest of uh, your hunting season. Yeah, likewise, guys. Send me uh, send me some pics from Montana, and if uh, you're running sure. a snag or something, you need a pin, shoot me a text. For sure, brother. I appreciate it. Where, uh, where can folks find you uh, on Instagram, Joe? Um. It's uh Joe Joe M Joe M Griffin is my my name on there. Um G R I F F I N. Um all the video stuff goes on Huntwise's YouTube channel. Um but yeah, just Joe Griffin on Facebook and Instagram. So and that's yeah. gonna be a whole lot of like just crude hunting stuff. Like that's nothing production that goes on that. So <laughs> that's kind of kind of two sides to that all the all the fancy videography stuff is going to be on hot wise and everything that's taken from a phone goes online so yeah that's uh that's more bobby and i speed so that's that's what we're looking for 100 <laughs> percent <Good. Yeah. laughs> behind the scenes <laughs> there you go oh <laughs> yeah bobby you got any closing thoughts man no nah, man i was really excited i was grinning from ear to ear on this one because uh i was just listening to you on on these hunts and and then listen to you get excited about, you know, hunting with your son. And that's something I hope to look forward to one day. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now and I still don't have that opportunity, but you never know. So, uh, I, it right. was just great to, great to hear it, man. It was great to meet you guys too. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Love talking about this kind of stuff. So absolutely, man. Thanks for your time, Joe. And, uh, yeah, we'll stay up with you, man. Listeners, as always, uh, we appreciate the hell out of you guys and, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.